0: Well, take a minute and look around you and look at the people around you. Just take a minute and look at the people around you. I don't mean just look at them. I mean look and see who they are and acknowledge uh, the person that you're seeing. And as you're doing that, let me ask you a couple of questions here. What kind of a person does God choose to accomplish He has plans and purposes in the world today. What kind of a person? And you're still looking at each other, right? Well, what would God's chosen instrument look like? Would God choose one of these people that you're looking at? Maybe we need to ask... Would God choose me? So I want us to think about that as we wait in the presence of the Lord this morning. You remember we've been talking the last couple of weeks about um, Isaiah, ch- Isaiah chapter six, um, God's revelation to Isaiah of his presence and who He is, His holiness, his nature and character, Isaiah's response. And God's call to Isaiah to be his witness, and I, or to, to have a witness, and Isaiah volunteers because of what God had done in him and to him. And so he volunteers, and then God gives him the commission, and it's a difficult commission. He's going to be God's spokesman with speaking the words and the power of the Lord, and it's going to be totally ineffective. In the sense that instead of producing life in the hearers, it's producing hardness and rejection because it's an act of judgment of God upon these people. Isaiah, you remember, asked how long is this going to go on? And he says, until everybody's gone. The cities will be abandoned. There'll be ghost towns. The fields won't be planted. It'll go back to the wild state." And yet, he says, even though a tenth, a tithe of the people will remain, the land will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Well, that's good news and bad news. Good news is that there is a hope there. There's a promise uh, there. The bad news is, that you've got a stump and the tree has been cut down it's been killed and you're left with a stump but it's that dead stump that uh, desecrated that um, disfigured that destroyed that barren stump just sitting there in the ground that will become the holy seed in the land so a seed is a, also, it's good news, bad news, isn't it? You've got the good news in that there's a lot of hope, a lot of promise in a seed. And when you plant a seed in the ground, it's with hope and expectation that it will grow and produce fruit. Something that will be beneficial to you in some way. That's the hope, that's the promise contained in the seed. The difficult thing about a seed is you've got to plant it in the ground and it has to die in order for that hope and expectation to be fulfilled. I want us to think this morning about our hopes. And what do we expect? And we think about our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, and what will it take for those to take root and bear fruit in our lives? We concentrate on the hope that's in the seed... But we need never forget that it has to die before any genuine true life can be produced. We look at our hopes and dreams and we think uh, all that we, uh, and they're going to say in Isaiah later on, and Jeremiah is going to pick up this theme, all that we hoped for, all that we looked for is dead. It's gone. And yet, that's the context in which hope begins to participate and be active. Now, you've got two, two views of this. You've got the positive view, which is a, a, a minority view always, and the majority view, which is the most powerful and prevalent in which our society and culture embraces. And when we're looking at this holy seed this, that's coming from this dead stump, because of the promise of God, we're going to see two views presented in the book of Isaiah. We're going to see this this seed from God's viewpoint, and then we're going to see what the world sees. And there are two very, very different things. The seed growing out of the stump is going to be picked up again by Isaiah in chapter 11. And again, the context here is good news and bad news. Um, Isaiah is living in a day in which there is uh, political and economic uh, change and crisis taking place. He's living in a day when, internationally, his country is becoming is beginning to get weaker and weaker, and the big superpowers around him are becoming much more aggressive. And that aggression is aimed directly at them, and so they are on the receiving end of this aggression. Uh, There's betrayal even from their own cousins, their brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom are are joining forces with pagan countries around them and attacking them. So there's betrayal, um, there's intimidation, there's threats, all of this kind of thing that's going on. And so Isaiah's living through that. Um, They're coming off of Uzziah who had a very long, powerful, prosperous reign He ruled for over 50 years. And the southern kingdom of Judah was the greatest it had been since the days of Solomon, uh, 300 years before. Economically, politically, internationally, they were the strongest that they had ever been since the days of Solomon. And then, uh, when Uzziah dies, things began to change. At home, and abroad and the attacks come and they're they're struggling to try to hang on for dear life. So in Isaiah chapter 11, God says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. And so we always look at this and we go on and it says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, spirit of wisdom and of understanding, spirit of counsel and power, spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And it goes on and it talks about um, what this shoot, this branch, is going to be and the positive things that are going to result. And it leads into um, talking about the peaceable kingdom where the wolf lies down with the lamb and all of that sort of thing. But it begins with verse 1 A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Well, what is the stump of Jesse? who is Jesse? Jesse was David's father. And so what he's talking about here is he's talking about kingship. Uh, After Saul was killed in battle, he was replaced by David. And in the southern kingdom of Judah, every king since then had been related in some way to the house of David. And so You could say that the beginning of the real consolidated power of kingship actually began with the house of Jesse, with David. And he becomes and still is the ideal king. As a matter of fact, when uh, in the Middle Ages, when Charlemagne became one of the the first uh, persons to be anointed by the Pope to be the king, he was trying to look around and trying to figure out what a a godly king was going to be. He has to look back to um, Constantine. When Constantine took over, he's the one who made Christianity a legal religion. And um, when Constantine was looking to try to figure out what does it mean to be a king in the Roman Empire and be a Christian, he didn't have any precedences that he could think of. And he had to look all the way back If he's looking to be the best king, he's looking back to David. And so, God says about David's house, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That means that kingship in Judah is dead. That's what it means. The tree that had been the oak of strength for his nation has been cut down. And they're gone into captivity. And so, uh, when you're a refugee in a foreign country, your country's filled with foreigners, um, capital city's been destroyed, the temple's burnt to the ground, and you're in exile, then the king's not a very impressive figure anymore. He's in chains in prison. So kingship is gone priesthood is gone Uh, temple's destroyed no sacrifices no offerings no burning of incense anymore Um, the festivals and the holy days um, they don't mean a whole lot anymore so the stump of Jesse um, kingship has been finished and they're looking at that and yet God says that's not the end there's going to be Out of that stump, roots that produce branches, and it will bear fruit. And the fruit includes wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge. It's the Old Testament counterpart to the New Testament fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? So that's what God sees. The world sees the stump. God sees the This shoot that's coming up. Just like earlier, the world saw a stump and God saw a holy seed. That holy seed in chapter 9 is telling us it's going to be a son, a child. This child was going to grow up and become great. He's going to fulfill everything that God had promised that he would do. But he's going to do it in such an unlooked-for, such an unusual way, defying every one of the world's concepts and expectations of power and beauty and grace. So we pick this up in the verses that uh, Derek was sharing a while ago. when in Isaiah chapter 52, starting with verse, 13, verse 14. 52, 14, we're going to read through 53 just as there were many who were appalled at him his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness so that's not real attractive that's not very powerful um, in the book of Job when Job's friends came to sit with him and offer comfort and consolation. They sat with him for one week, seven days, without saying a word. They were so shocked, they didn't even recognize their friend. Uh, His whole family was gone, all of his position, his power, his wealth, uh, all of that was gone, his dignity was gone. Um, All he had left was a body that was broken and filled with scabs, uh, running sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head and he was sitting in dust and ashes. Uh, he couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. His body was emaciated. He was sitting there in the, in the dust and ashes covered with sackcloth and just in utter, total misery. And they, when they first saw him, they didn't recognize him. That's the kind of person that he's describing here in the book of Isaiah. Now, the hope that that appearance, that disfigurement goes... <coughs> If so will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand and so here we have people who are not Gentiles who are Gentiles and not Jews now you remember at, at the cross of Jesus there was a Roman centurion he was the officer in charge of the execution And he was there with his men. They were the ones who actually drove the nails and raised the cross and dropped it in the ground. They were the ones who had administered the beating and the mocking and the spitting. Um, They were the ones who had done that. And yet, as the course of that went on, the centurion himself, not a statement of faith, but a statement of recognition... Surely this man was the Son of God. So what he had not been told, he saw. And what he had not heard, he began to understand. Isaiah continues and he says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This guy who, was a, who we were appalled at, who was so disfigured, his, his countenance was marred, beyond human likeness he's the one who became man who took the form of man for you and for me he says he grew up before the Lord like a tender shoot like a root out of dry ground some plants are beautiful from the very beginning when they first break the ground and you, they're just beautiful to look at the form, the color um, they're just beautiful to look at others aren't so beautiful I had a friend in South Africa and uh, their second born son you know some people say all babies are beautiful this one wasn't <laughs> he just wasn't the mom and dad were making jokes about it and so he writes uh, and he says we're not certain of his parentage <laughs> My father's writing this about his son they're a good Christian family they love the boy and the boy grew up he's a fine good looking strong young man today but He wasn't much to look at as a baby. (laughs) And so uh, we think about some of these things, you know. Beauty means different things to different people. Now this person that Isaiah is describing, he says he is abhorrent for us to look at. Nobody would be attracted. Nobody would say, my, this this." this person must be a son of god here or this person must be a daughter of god look how beautiful and perfect in form and you know and, and personality and character and all of that kind of thing surely this is god's anointed no oftentimes they are not because they have other values other things are important to them and this one over here that has been rejected you know he's the weak one he's the skinny scrawny one he's the ugly one he's the uncoordinated one Uh, you know he's the one that trips when he tries to walk across a flat floor some people outgrow that we all grow through that some of us never get over it (laughs) so he's like a root growing up out of dry ground struggling he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him sometimes I think artists have done us a disfavor in the way that they depict Jesus you know he's a a young healthy strong man uh, beautiful countenance uh, attractive uh, the kind of person people would look and say well that's a born leader right there I don't think Jesus was any of those he was a peasant from northern Galilee and you remember when Philip told Nathaniel Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can any good thing come from a Nazareth? You know, it was a despised, rejected place. Podunk town. And nobody ever expected anything of value to come from a place like that. And yet, it's a place God chose. So I don't think people were attracted to Jesus by his appearance in any shape or form. No beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing is an appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He's man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. This word suffering and sorrows can also be interpreted pains and sicknesses. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now that, in a way, describes Christianity to a lot of people in our society and world today. You mentioned Jesus and He was despised and rejected by men. Despised and we esteemed Him not. A lot of people don't esteem or value Him. A lot of people in the church don't esteem or value Him. Not really. So in our situation... Esteem means to value or to attach worth to. In our daily living, how much do we value the presence of Jesus Christ? He promised He'd be with us every day. Never leave us nor forsake us. Do we value that? Do we even acknowledge it? So from a worldly point of view, Everything about Jesus was wrong. He didn't look right. He came from the wrong place. He was poor and obscure. He had the wrong occupation. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. He wasn't even a prince from the world's viewpoint. And yet, he's the holy seed. Charles Wesley, the hymn writer, he's the one who wrote uh, the lyrics to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, music by Mendelssohn. But the the words were written by Charles Wesley. Second verse. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us. So we look at Jesus. The people of his day looked at Jesus. And Isaiah said, This chosen seed... It's going to be be the bringer of life out of the death of this stump, this heir to the throne of David. This child that was born is going to be the holy seed. Uh, Isaiah says, yeah, God with us, but he doesn't look like it. He's incognito, <laughs> concealing one's identity, especially coming in a capacity other than one's official capacity. So what does God look like? What about the man or the woman that God chooses? God in the flesh. So who did he pick to be the ones that were to be the recipients of his Revelation Who did he pick to be god 's instrument god 's chosen one in the world in Jesus' day because it 's some indication of who he might pick in our day well, Luke chapter one starts off and it talks about a a priest well that 's kind of what we would had in mind, Zechariah and elizabeth both of the house of Aaron both uh, of the priestly families and concerning the outward observance of the law God says these men this man and this woman were blameless but they were barren they had no children and they were old old God chooses old people I thought it was always the young (laughs) God chose the old Zechariah and Elizabeth, well along in years, Luke says. Then we get over a little later to a man by the name of Simeon, an old man who is a prophet. And then we get to Anna. And depending on how you interpret what Luke says there, she's either 84 or she could possibly be as old as 91. Old people. And God choosing them first. First. To be his representatives. So there is uh, value in being old sometimes. Some of the wisdom that Derek talks about. Hopefully comes with the years. But it wasn't just the old. Mary was very young. Jesus came as a baby infant. Some of those shepherds were young men. So God chose older ones He chose younger ones Well you had the shepherds there The shepherds were the low men on the totem pole They were just above the beggars The shepherds wasn't a a high dollar uh, sophisticated form of occupation back then Um, Shepherds were, were there at the bottom of the pile And God chooses people like Joseph, who is a a carpenter up in Nazareth. Uh, Ordinary people, poor people. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have a lot of money. And yet, you've got these wise men coming, these Gentiles. You've got Jews. You've got Gentiles. You've got God's chosen people. You've got people that the Jews would think were not chosen. These were the ones that we would exclude, and yet God chose them first. And so here these men come, and they are very wealthy, at least they have expensive gifts. And so you've got the rich and the poor, you've got men and women, you've got young and old, you've got Jews and Gentiles, and so the people that God chooses kind of looks like us. Because we all fall into one of those categories, don't we? And some of us fall into more than one of those. And if you're looking for beauty and dignity and power and authority, uh, some of that is there with these magi from the east. And yet at the same time, side by side, you have the poverty. So you have these wealthy men coming to a stable or to a very small town of Bethlehem, outside of Jerusalem we can think about the disciples and you know Jesus chose people that you and I wouldn't choose you wouldn't, con- choo- you wouldn't choose a guy like Peter this guy was so it was like a weather lane he was up and down he was going this way one time and this way the next and you never knew exactly what happened and he is one of these guys who always spoke before he thought you know whatever was in his mind he just came out with it whether it was appropriate or not got him into trouble quite a bit uh, he was a man who had uh, issues with, <laughs> with who he was and he was uh, concerned about people around him and what they thought he had people like James and John the sons of thunder these were these were candidates for the anger management course um, these were men who were willing to call down fire and brimstone because somebody asked them to leave a place you know um, they were willing to destroy them all. And you had people like Levi or Matthew, tax collectors. You had people like, like Simon the Zealot, freedom fighter, patriot of his day. He would have been one of the guerrilla fighters if they had the opportunity. And so you've got this, this group of people here. Uh, Jesus was criticized because he hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors. And, you know, they are just not the right kind of people we want uh, to be associated with. And yet, those were the ones that Jesus chose. Early church, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul starts describing the church at Corinth. And he says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus talks about himself in John chapter 12 being the holy seed. And he said, Unless a kernel of seed, of grain, falls on the ground and dies, Uh, it bears no fruit. But if it dies, then it brings forth fruit. In the context there, he's talking about the kind of death that he is going to die. And God the Father speaks in an audible voice that many people heard. This is my beloved Son. And so, Jesus, God with us, but just not in the way we looked for. Because we esteemed him, rejected by God, and afflicted by him and he was wasn't he he was afflicted by god he was rejected by him as jesus told us on the cross but it was for us that's the seed dying in the hope of the new life that was coming so paul continues and he says Where is the wise man? God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Sounds very much like Isaiah back there. They're going to see and not understand. They're going to hear and not perceive. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And so, that's my calling. To be the fool. Jesus demanded miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called... Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now, there were some in every one of those categories, but not many but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him so we're in good company So if you feel despised, rejected, you're in good company. It is because of Christ, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So God has come and He's chosen. We can look around us today at each other in this room today. Who is it that God would choose today in this world, in this community? Looks like you. Looks like me. Men and women, old and young, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles. And He's chosen us. And he's chosen us to be the bearers of the good news. and So I'll close with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Because when the world looks at Jesus they see a stump a marred disfigured disgraced humiliated weak individual to the people who understand and know he is the power of God he is the author of life he is God in the flesh Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's inviting us to participate with Isaiah. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us... The message of reconciliation. We are therefore, regardless of what the world sees when they look at you and look at me, regardless of what they think about us, we are therefore, Paul says, Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the rest of the world through you and through me. Be reconciled to God. And that's what he's entrusted to you and to me to participate with what God is doing. And so God asks us today, whom can I send and who will go for us? We are Christ's ambassadors. We are God's witnesses. So we implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the good news. The good news that you've chosen the weak and the despised. The ones who the world counts as of no value and no power. And you've lifted us up and seated us on the throne of Christ. Because of his sacrifice for us, not counting our sins against us, marred and rejected, disfigured because of us, so that we might be presented pure and holy and spotless. And we are witnesses of that because we've experienced that growth, that new life in the deadness of our own hearts and lives. So, Lord, we are willingly your ambassadors. Pray that you would fill us increasingly each day and use us, making us aware of the people around us. Help us to see them through your eyes, Lord. These are the ones you've chosen. In Jesus' name, amen.